Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm ever yours, Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous group separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show, we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And, of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right, the Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you, reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right, please get out of the thought control business. Well, our topics du jour, as you may have heard, well, even high-profile liberals like actor Tim Robbins and tennis great Martina Navratilova, these guys are coming out against the woke Nazis' opposition to free speech, as well as their refusal to just let naturally-born females compete against themselves or among themselves without transgender females pushing them out of athletic games. Also, there's uh, <laughs> something bizarre is happening in Minnesota. Uh, the Democrats there are pushing a bill to let people log, quote-unquote, biased speech, in other words, dissent they don't like, with the Minnesota Department of Human Rights for statements like, uh, COVID was likely leaked from China's Wuhan lab. Now, they're referring to this as speech adjacent to racism or insensitivity. You got to wonder, is it now time for free, for free speech mobs to swarm Minnesota's capital just like the left did in Wisconsin? Because this is getting ridiculous. This is getting imbecilic. Hell, you've got schools now in Vermont telling parents that the grade school kids will be instructed to not refer to boys and girls as boys and girls, but rather sperm givers and egg givers, or words to that effect. I mean, give me a break. I mean, the thought police and the speech police are becoming so strangling in their tactics and methodology that they're just going to ensure that nobody's ever able to say anything out of line ever again without that being a stepping stone to some way of shutting down that person's dissent. And you got to remember something. Government that can censor speech can oppress you. The government that can censor you can oppress you because <laughs> their practice of the first means you cannot oppose the second. So dust off the Second Amendment option, folks. It might not be as far away as we think. Anyway, without further ado, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing over to the show, Bill Pasco, former talk uh, radio host and columnist, uh, currently the spokesperson for the Tea Party Patriots Action. Uh, during the Cold War, he smuggled computers and cash behind the Iron Curtain and trained Democrat activists in the Soviet Union as well as uh, Eastern Europe. Um, he knows a thing or two about the dangers of censorship, and of course, uh, his good folks are right now reacting to uh, the Biden re-election announcement, because let's face it, nothing but freedoms are imperiled <laughs> if this bozo stays in office. Bill Pascoe, good to have you back, buddy. How are you today? I'm good, Alan. How are you? I'm all right. I'm hanging in. A little concerned about all the censorship, and uh, if Biden sticks around, we're going to have more of it. Isn't that fair to say? 
I think so. And, uh, you know, I saw one of his pollsters uh, the other day talking about how freedom polls really well. And if you watch that video that he that he released, uh, you know, because he they, they couldn't take the chance of doing a live event. Uh, he, he might have stumbled over his words and, and shown everybody that the age is really catching up to him. So they, they put the, they put together this campaign video uh, and. The word freedom is used constantly. The problem is uh, their version of freedom, their understanding of freedom is not what you and I understand. And I think uh, it's not what the dictionary definition of freedom is. They, they think uh, that, that uh, they should have the freedom to not be offended by somebody else who disagrees with them, as, as you've just been talking about. That's not a freedom, for goodness sake. Uh, that's in order to do that, you have to suppress somebody else's rights to free speech. That's not freedom. It, right. it's just I don't not. think they realize that uh, our refusal to let them impose their will on us is not a violation of any freedom they possess. That's right. <laughs> our refusing to let them usurp our freedoms is not a removal of their own. And uh, they, they do need to catch on to that. I, I, I find, it's like this bill that's being pushed in Minnesota to get people to log about biased speech, you know, dissent that they don't like. The idea that if you say something along the lines of COVID was likely leaked from China's Wuhan lab, that would constitute biased speech. But by that measure, arguments are never allowed to rise and fall on the merits ever again, which means we can never get to what is really the best argument there is. They don't want to compete in the marketplace of ideas. They want to remove the marketplace altogether and just characterize uh, any dissent as being inappropriate, thus ensuring they never have to engage. Or am I seeing too much into this? Well, you know, we've, we've been here before, 100 years ago, a little more than 100 years ago, when Woodrow Wilson was president and we were fighting World War I. Uh, the, the Congress of the United States passed something called the Sedition Act, and that made it illegal to publicly oppose U.S. involvement in the war. I mean, stop and think about that for a second. We're in a war. There's, there's going to be some people who say, is this the best thing for the United States to do? I, I oppose the president's decision. I oppose the Congress's decision to declare war. And believe it or not, they actually put people in jail for expressing opposition to this. Eugene Debs, the, the socialist candidate for president in 1920, the fifth time he ran for president, he ran for president from a federal penitentiary because he had been put in jail for violating the Sedition Act. If you had taught, and I didn't know this, I didn't know this until relatively recently. I, w- I was curious. Uh, I-, I did some research when when President Trump, when former President Trump was indicted. I started getting questions from grassroots activists. Well, will this affect his ability to run for president? Can you be indicted and run for president? I said sure. And then they said, well, what if he gets convicted? Is there a prohibition against a convicted felon ever serving president? I said, no, no, no. The Constitution lays out the qualifications for president. There's nothing in there about that. I, I know that. Then I started doing some research, and I found out, my goodness, there was actually a major party candidate, the socialist candidate in 1921, won a million votes, 6% of the national vote, from a federal penitentiary where he was serving a sentence for opposing the war publicly. That happened in the United States. I find that shocking. It could well, happen again. It, it, it won't as long as we don't permit it. Look, a, a, a legislative law or executive order is only as binding as it is constitutionally compliant. Yeah. And if something grotesquely violates the Constitution, even if somehow it passed, guess what? You just don't bother obeying it. And then if you're arrested... You get to have that conversation in court. It seems a lot easier right. to do that than find standing, you know. But just do it. You know, it's called the uh, I think it's called the Irish Rebellion. You know, it's it's an Irish rebellion or an Irish revolt. You just don't bother obeying the law. Um, well, and, and, wait, I, and look, it, it, I, I got to give you some peace of mind here. I think the woke will be eventually put to sleep because their inverted burden of proof structure and all arguments is just not sustainable, Bill. I mean, there's really a limit to how long folks can take seriously assertions endlessly predicated on what are merely just other assertions with, you know, when you think about it, only shaming tactics used as their validation. I mean, I think most catch on to the differences between a genuine premise versus the pretext pretending to be one. I mean, I think about what they're doing. I mean, through their sh- strategy of shaming, these woke Nazis 
undermine the primary moral measure of our right to choose our own individual paths by just conjuring secondary measures of allegedly higher morals in order to leverage the replacement of that primary one. What, what am I missing here? You're not missing anything. You're exactly right. The structure, the, and you're right, too. The, the good news is the structure cannot last. It can't sustain itself. No, no, it can't. All they can do is just get louder and louder every time you hold them accountable. And, of course, they characterize accountability as somehow always being more inappropriate than their shirking of it. And I say this is somebody who cannot left the best of them. I'm a social progressive. But like Tim Robbins, the actor, and Martina Navratilova, the tennis great, both liberals, uh, I'm fed up with masturbated sophistry being characterized as if it's somehow um, a higher morality and therefore should be listened to. More on the Sapato Return. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show. This message is provided by Beringer Engelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Global Fibronir program. To learn more about Fibronir and eligibility requirements, visit fibronir-ipf.longboat.com and fibronir-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM SkillsBuild continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. 
Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Happy years, Alan. Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis. For those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach, absolutely delighted you could be with us. Uh, assisting in the opining and analyzing, we have old friend of the show, Bill Pasco, former talk radio host and columnist. He's uh, currently the spokesperson for Tea Party Patriots Action. Again, during the Cold War, he smuggled computers and cash behind the Iron Curtain and trained Democrat activists in the Soviet Union as well as the Eastern, as well as Eastern Europe. Uh, so for so long, so much of Eastern Europe was just a block of the then Soviet Union. Bill, good to have you back. Thanks again for joining us. Good to be with you, Alan. Um, I was chatting a little earlier about how even high-profile liberals like actor Tim Robbins and tennis great Martina Navratilova, they're coming out against uh, these woke Nazis and their opposition to free speech as well as their refusal to let naturally-born females compete among themselves without transgender females pushing them out of athletic games. Look, I'm, I believe that we can be very supportive of the uh, trans community while still uh, not denying science uh, over the issue of just how physiologically um, advantaged uh, trans females are over naturally born females and how unfair it is to have them uh, rival one another in competitive sports. I, I don't think these things are mutually exclusive, but if you bring up this science which is irrefutable. I mean, nobody with an IQ above salad dressing can deny it. These folks definitely have a physiological advantage over naturally born females. And when you bring up the science, they characterize that as somehow being tantamount to the most egregious thing you could ever mention on the face of the planet. And I don't know if I'm being overly sanguine about this, but I believe more and more people are catching on to the stupidity holding that disagreement must be considered verboten because it's going against whatever thing their agenda is in the name of versus their agenda. I always try to make clear to my people that I like them to understand that uh, uh, an agenda is never validated by its stated goal because that's the job of the agenda, to validate itself, showing how it will deliver that stated goal. Otherwise, any idiot could come up with any crackpot agenda they want as long as he or she or they first remember to say, hey, my agenda is in the name of this laudable goal. So if you're just going to tell me that uh, we must accept trans females uh, rivaling uh, naturally born females in competitive sports because um, only by going along with that can you show that you're not transphobic, I say, hey, you've not yet completed that argument. Where am I mistaken? You're not mistaken. Uh, you're not transphobic. You're looking at the science. You're following the science. This is, a, this is the hard part for them. Uh, they, they just spent years telling us, follow the science, follow the science, trust the science, listen to the scientists. Well, you're absolutely right. Science on this is indisputable. Leah Thomas is the perfect example. Competing for three years on the college men's swimming team, he was a mediocre swimmer at best. He didn't win much. He didn't lose much. He was right in the middle of the pack. Then he realizes he's actually not a he, he's a she, and she starts competing in female swim meets. And all of a sudden, because she's got the build of a he, not surprisingly, she's bigger, stronger, faster. She starts winning. Uh, and, And naturally born females are hurt by this. It's not, it's not fair competition. Uh, it, it defeats, it subverts the purpose of competition. Um, and, and what amazes me is that my liberal Democrat friends uh, who love diversity and embrace diversity uh, are so narrow-minded and they have such tunnel vision that they they have trapped themselves into believing that if you are not fully on board with the trans agenda, even to the point of insisting that a trans female should be allowed to compete against a naturally born female, and that to deny the trans female the opportunity to compete against a naturally born female, that that would be denying the right, uh, in fact, almost denying the very existence of the trans female. That, that's just crazy. But that's where they are. What it is, is it's a presupposition masquerading a settled argument versus showing how said argument was ever actually settled. They're telling us that the conclusion of their claim is proof of their argument versus showing the proof itself. Martina Navratilova (laughs) recently came out uh, uh, against uh, Leah Thomas explaining, hey, 
biological females are most likely to compete in the biological female category as that's their best shot at winning and it maintains the principle of fairness. With an open category, there are no question marks, no provisos, no asterisks, no doubts. It's a simple solution. That's what she's suggesting they do. Yeah. She thinks it would be that she says, uh, she says, I think the best idea would be to have biological female and biological girl categories and then an open category. Right. Um, she went on to say it would be a category for all comers, men who identify as men, women who identify as women, women who identify as men, and men who identify as women, non-binary. It would be a catch-all. This is already being explored in athletic swimming in Britain. Um, and, and she likes the idea. Of now, Leah Thompson was, of course, slamming her and those like her. Uh, she said on a recent podcast uh, that those who support her as a person but not her pursuit in sports are, quote, using the guise of feminism to sort of push transphobic beliefs, unquote. And Navratilova just slammed her. She says, hey, newsflash, Leah, it's not fair. We yeah. shouldn't have to explain it to you over and over. Also, stop explaining feminism to feminists. <laughs> you know, um, you, you know here, here's, here's an example uh, of, of a, a group of female athletes that recognizes the difference between men and women in their chosen athletic endeavor. Uh, you know, 44 weeks out of the 52 weeks of the year, the Professional Golfers Association Tour, the PGA Tour, hosts an event. Uh, it's, it's a male-only event. But at the, at the end of the 44-week season, the last two months of the year, basically, they call it the silly season, where they're putting together events just for television exposure. And they're celebrity events. And there's one event that I've always found fascinating, where they take golfers from the men's tour, the PGA Tour, and the ladies' tour, the LPGA Tour, and the seniors' tour, which is the, you know, past their prime. You get to be 50 years old, and you get to play the same courses, but you move, you move up your tees, so the course yeah. is a little bit shorter for you. And the way they do this competition is the PGA Tour guys, the guys who are in their prime, they're playing from the back tees. Then you have the, the senior tour players because they'll still hit the ball. The, the older men will still hit the ball longer than even the best females. And then they'll have the females playing from the shorter tees. And the idea is that's how you make the competition equal. Because the, the women simply cannot hit the ball as far as the men do. So you adjust the length of the course for them. That's how they equalize the competition. Well, they that, recognize that's, that's that there's no problem. No, that's demonstrating contextual proportionality. I love that. I love that. And I think Martina is zeroing in on that a bit because she's exactly. very candid in her, in her objection. She says, quote, once somebody has gone through male puberty, there is no way to erase that physical advantage. You yep. cannot simply turn back the clock, for instance, by trying to lower testosterone levels. Exactly. It just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. The, the, the bone structure, for one, can't be changed. That, that it doesn't make any difference what you do with testosterone levels. No, it doesn't. I mean, just please. I, and this is what I think is going to help defeat the woke. They overreach. You know, there's such a thing as jumping the shark, and then there's jumping many sharks at once. These folks are leaping across oceans of sharks, and it's catching up to them. They're going to get bit in the butt. <laughs> Simple as that. Anyway, uh, Bill Pasco, always blast to have you on board. Folks, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. 
Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca Cola. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Over here is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis. For those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach, delighted you could be with us. Well, even high-profile liberals like actor Tim Robbins and tennis great Martina Navratilova are coming out against the woke Nazis' opposition to both free speech as well as their refusal to let naturally-born females compete among themselves without transgender females pushing them out of athletic games. Also, Minnesota Democrats are pushing a bill to uh, egg people on to log biased speech, in other words, dissent they don't like, with, <laughs> believe it or not, the Minnesota Department of Human Rights for statements like, quote-unquote, COVID was likely leaked from China's Wuhan lab. This is now biased speech because that sentiment has the temerity to disagree with the left's 
preferred narrative. This is despite the fact that the FBI and the Department of Energy have all come out and said, yeah, it's most likely it's most likely to accurate to say the covid was derived from a lab leak uh, out of Wuhan in China. So despite the fact that the power hitters in government are even acknowledging it, if you say it, you can be chided or given a black mark as someone who's kind of close to coming to the expression of uh, insensitive speech or insulting speech. And by the way, I don't know why insensitive and insulting are still not covered by the First Amendment. Last I heard, they are. I mean, unless your speech is along the lines of threatening, um, you know, one's, one's health and security, uh, I'm really not sure what the hell the government has uh, any business in, in, in preempting said speech. I, I, I'm at a loss there. And I say this is somebody who cannot left the best of them. Anyway, assisting in the opining and analyzing, we have old friend of the show, Bill uh, D'Agostino, a senior research analyst for the Media Research Center as well as media editor at Newsbusters. Bill, good to have you back, buddy. How are you today? Yeah, good to talk to you, Alan. Thanks for having me on. No, no, always a pleasure, always a pleasure. You know, I was reading a lot here. It just I find it fascinating. Tim Robbins, the actor, you know, Shawshank Redemption and elsewhere, definite liberal. Yeah. The guy supports Bernie Sanders. This guy has his liberal hash marks. Well, he recently spanked his fellow Democrats for having forgotten the importance of the First Amendment guaranteeing our freedom of speech. And this includes, of course, for the press, uh, a press they may not always like. He admonished those who threatened award-winning reporter Matt Taibbi simply because they didn't like the revelations he brought to light concerning, you know, the government tag-teaming with civilian groups to censor Americans disagreeing with the left on everything from COVID, illegal immigration, the quashing of the Hunter Biden laptop story, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I want to share with you a little bit of what it came across from the Washington Examiner. Here's what... Uh, Uh, columnist John Miltimore had to say about it. In a tweet that reached nearly 3 million people in 24 hours, the longtime Democrat and Bernie Sanders supporter ripped Democrats who threatened reporter Matt Taibbi with prison following his congressional testimony on the Twitter files. Here's what Robbins tweeted. Quote, What an embarrassing, shameful time for the Democrats and the free press. You are losing any shred of credibility you had, you effing fools, unquote. I love his candor, don't you? <laughs> yeah, as do I. Um, I what, mean, what, what was your reaction to this? I mean, because I know you're familiar with it. Yeah, uh, I mean, seeing Tim Robbins saying this is, you know, kind of kind of another case of somebody who would not usually be. Uh, you know, forming common cause with, say, Republicans or conservatives, uh, just coming out against what what is can't really be described as anything other than just a complete total censorship regime or attempted censorship regime um, currently being pushed by the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, because it's one party doing it, you always see anybody calling it out on their own side being labeled as actually a member of the other side, right? So, like, that's that's happened with Matt Taibbi, with Barry Weiss, and Michael Schellenberger, too, the, the three most prominent Twitter files journalists. Um, they're all being considered right-wing journalists now. Now, for anybody who hadn't really been familiar with Taibbi before, that's, that's utterly laughable. Um, he wrote, I think, in 2015, an article about, uh, or no, it was whenever Andrew Breitbart died, he said, okay, well, good, he's in hell. You know, this is not, <laughs> this is not a, a super right-wing guy. You know, uh, that's, that's Matt Taibbi. Uh, Schellenberger and Weiss, I mean, well, Weiss I was a New York actually, Times you know what? I didn't know he wrote that about him, and if I had, I would have raked him over the coals. Andrew Breitbart was a friend of mine. I knew him well. My wife and I both knew him. And, yeah, ag- uh, agreed, I, Alan. And he's also somebody who was actually, people don't realize this about Andrew Breitbart, but he was also a bit of a social progressive. He was. Um, he was just a, a constitutionalist and believed in the freedom of speech and believed that even back then we had a government that was allowing operatives uh, through the trap, their trappings of officialdom to start marginalizing free speech rights. And that was when it was at a time where it was nowhere near as... as uh, as, as vile and, and disgusting as it's become today. But that notwithstanding, uh, I, I would, I would want to give Matt Taibbi uh, the benefit of the doubt of having evolved because now he truly seems to be aghast at his otherwise fellow liberals 
marginalizing the free speech rights of Americans so much. I mean, he, along with Schellenberger, as you pointed out, and Barry Weiss, these folks came across the fact that our government has been working hand-in-hand with civilian operatives to censor Americans. You know, you got the Homeland, you got the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department hooking up with the Election Integrity Partnership Group. Right. Uh, this is a consortium of, like, four different organizations. We're talking about... Uh, I, I, I don't know. They're all they're not coming to my head. right. Oh, yeah, the Stanford Internet Observatory, uh, also uh, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, Grapika, right? I think that's a social media analytics firm. And what yep. these guys did was they set up a concierge service wherein federal operatives uh, coming from uh, CISA, which is uh, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, they could they could file these tickets lobbying for the censorship of all dissent not to their liking and they had a pretty decent batting average of success and i think that's vile and disgusting you know the first amendment not only precludes government from being able to do this directly it also precludes them from doing it indirectly because and, yeah, they could get and away clarify, with saying oh through this process it's indirect i mean it would essentially it neutralize the First Amendment if we say, oh, the government can do it as long as they do it through third-party proxies. Where am I mistaken? You're not mistaken. And, and to clarify, you were just talking about CISA. That, that is itself a government outfit, is it not? Yes. Right. Yes, they were the so ones there, allowed there to submit tickets to the Election Integrity Project. Right. Right. Exactly. And so you have this, I mean, the word has been bandied about so much that at this point it barely has any meaning. But this is very close to the actual definition of fascism, which is this kind of muddled, muddled uh, authoritarian marriage of private sector and public sector or private sector and government power. Right. That's the, in a lot of ways. This is fascistic. Um, well, then not what can just, we do? What can we do? What can be done? about the general Nazi-like tactics of censorship being perpetrated by folks like the State Department and the FBI. This isn't like true Goebbels-style ugliness. I mean, how far, away for, how far away are we, in your estimation, from maybe having to revolt against this tyrannically rebellious government? I mean, nobody wants this nightmare, but these inbreds seem to be deliberately trying to trigger such a thing, or am I seeing too much in all this? No, I do think that there's definitely – okay, so that, that's an interesting thread to pull. Um, I definitely do think that there is a certain degree of incitement and attempting to – you know, what's the old saying? Um, a, man, a man has the soapbox, the ballot box, and the uh, am- ammunition box, right, in, in, in that – or no, I believe it's the ballot box, the soapbox, and the ammunition box in that order, right? And, and so, you know, well, when, we when he remember, feels that – we have a constitutional entitlement – to do what's necessary to maintain the quote-unquote security of a free state. That's what the Second Amendment's about. It's not for hunting rights. It says exactly. a well-regulated exactly. militia, and regulated means in good working order at the time that the, that, that amendment was written. That's what it meant. A well-regulated yeah. militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, all of the protections under the Bill of Rights were individual, not collective. So I don't want to hear any dumbass out there insist that, oh, it's a collective right, you know, it's uh, only if, as government regulates it. No way. We would never, ever, ever have to uh, allow the very government that we might potentially have to restrain uh, be in charge of how much we're allowed to restrain it. I mean, uh, you correct me yeah. where I'm wrong, but if, if, if once government, in the aggregate I'm talking about, I mean, this is after all of our checks and balances and reciprocal checks and balances are exhausted. If you have aggregate government, that essentially is going to disconnect itself from the very laws it requires the rest of us to follow, that equals tyranny, and that's the point at which we're allowed to revolt against their own rebellious act against us through that tyrannical conduct. Or am I seeing too much into this? No, you're not. Um, and and I, I think that there's, <laughs> there's a lot more to come before we get to that point, but it's getting bad. Bill, I agree with you there. Bill, if you can, buddy, hang on the line for just a moment, folks. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back.
In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager, JumpCloud's Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices. And cloud-based options aren't ideal either. JumpCloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end-to-end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud-based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy... It's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all got to help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P 
pva.org. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Uh, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing, sticking around, and we appreciate that. Bill DiGagostino, uh, he is a senior research analyst for the Media Research Center, as well as media editor for Newsbusters. Good to have you back, Bill. And again, thanks for sticking around. We appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were talking about the um, liberals who are themselves getting tired of some of the woke. People like Tim Robbins are really uh, ticked off at uh, uh, the left for going after me, Matt Taibbi um, for his disclosure of what we all came to understand better, of the Twitter files. Um, Robbins was focusing on Representative Stacey Plaskett, a uh, Democrat out of Virgin Islands, threatening Matt Taibbi with criminal prosecution. This is, you know, when she falsely stated that the guy lied in testimony when he appeared right. before her and the others in that hearing titled Weaponization of the Federal Government on the Twitter Files. But, you know, you mentioned them as well. There were, there were others besides Matt. you got reporters Barry Weiss, Lee Fang. You also had authors Michael Schellenberger, David Zwieg, and, of course, Alex Berenson. Uh, these guys were also given access to those Twitter files. And what these files proved was government censorship had been taking place, in the words of the very bureaucrats and officials committing that censorship. And, of course, the left universe is still fuming over the disclosure and blaming those who made these revelations, showing that they're more upset about being caught than they are upset about their fellow Democrats committing the very thing that's been exposed. Kind of silly, isn't it? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it is. That's that's the a very apt description. Is they're more upset about getting caught than they are that any of this actually happened. Um, you know, there there was uh, in the Twitter files. I remember seeing one email leaked from Congressman Ro Khanna, who was kind of expressing concern about all of this, and that was good to see that there was some pushback from some congressional Democrats. Oh yeah, on this topic. you remember that one? He made it abundantly clear. He said, "There's some First Amendment violation issues going on right now." Right. Um, but you still have uh, people on the left in mass um, are, that are more upset about being caught than they are about the very thing that's been caught. I mean, isn't it strange how the defenders of these censors are characterizing accountability as being more inappropriate than their shirking of it? I mean, aren't they essentially saying you, you exposing us is worse than what you've exposed us doing. <laughs> but, but they'll yeah. never admit to anything, will they, regardless of how obvious it might be. I, I, they won't, forgot, you know, these guys won't admit to being nude at an intersection, even if you have a photo of them bare-ass naked under a traffic light. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I mean, is it any wonder that more and more Americans may want to see these, these folks face a jury-approved firing squad on television? I mean, these people are playing fast and loose with our rights. They're getting indignant when we out them for violating our First Amendment rights as if somehow uh, that's a greater immoral act than the immoral act that's been exposed. Again, it's this inverted burden of proof uh, structure to all of their arguments, and it's simply unsustainable after a while. I mean, I mean, when you have people like Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss and these others who are no uh, wallflowers when it comes to defending liberal policies coming out. No, they're not. Along with Tim Robbins and, of course, Martina Navratilova. When you have folks like this saying, hey, you keep this up, you're going to ruin the very thing that's allowed us to get the views we enjoy having heard. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they forget that so many of the liberal perspectives that now are, are commonly understood never would have seen the light of day if the First Amendment was damaged as they're, prepared, as they're prepared to do right now. Well, yes, that's true, but they have seen the light of day. They did benefit from that. And so now maybe that they're in power, maybe it's not so important that it stick around because all it's doing is helping the side that isn't in power, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the, uh, the calculation that's being done. Is you know what it, that shows? Is that completely shows fear. That shows fear, Absolutely. doesn't it? They're just yeah. afraid that their arguments can't survive the process of debate. You know, normally debate you have a, a debate allows for arguments to rise and fall on their merits. 
um, not the dictates of one side over the other. And then, of course, they tried to get rid of the right to debate by saying, well, free speech is fine except when it serves the purposes of misinformation and disinformation. But as you and I both know, accusations, accusations of misinformation and disinformation have to be shown, not merely declared. They've got to be illustrated, not merely uh, stated. And not only that, so what if it's wrong? The First Amendment allows for misinformation because think about it. Everybody who disagrees with one another does so because each believes the other to be what? Misinformed. But since right. when has that justified the quashing of free speech, I ask you? Well, yeah, no, that's, that's a very important point. What is the end cost of this, of, of somebody being misinformed? It means they're wrong. Somebody can correct them. Sunlight is a disinfectant, you know, all of that. But it also, the idea of misinformation necessarily entails that there is also an absolute truth on any topic, right? If there is misinformation about something, that means that there is a knowable, factual reality about that thing that that is opposite to the misinformation that somebody's pushing. And so when you start saying that there is misinformation in politics, where so much of it is about difference of opinion, as opposed to uh, factual, you're, you're getting in very dangerous territory there, because what you're essentially saying is, okay, there, this is the, when you say, we accuse somebody of disinformation, you're saying, okay, my stance is the factual defined truth, and everything else is wrong. Well, yeah, you're you're essentially telling people what I said must be true because I said it. Right. And and therefore, if you disagree with me, you're the one practicing misinformation. But again, unless you can have an open discussion that allows us to discuss what constitutes misinformation or disinformation, then we're just talking about the perfect tool for any tool to shut down free speech. And again, if government can censor you, it can oppress you, right? Because it's practice of the first means you cannot oppose the second. Isn't that fairly straightforward? Yes, absolutely. And I would say that if, if we're having, if you and I are having a discussion and you think I'm wrong about something, you're not going to say that is misinformation. You're just going to say, no, 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 that's not true. I disagree, whatever, something like that. And so the very presence of misinformation, the, the widespread presence, it's almost ubiquity at this point, in our politi- of, of misinformation as a concept in our political discourse is evidence of an attempt at totalitarian control of speech. Exactly. Because uh, you can only find the better argument by allowing challenge. You can't have the supposed better argument uh, existing only from or by way of the dictates of one side against the other. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and, and this is when oppression comes in. This is why I say if government can oppress, can, can censor you, it can oppress you because it's practice of the first means you cannot oppose the second. And let's face it, we've never needed a permission slip from our oppressors to resist their oppression. And I hope our leaders understand that. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.